Hello, welcome to the reading of the Sioux City Journal for Thursday, January 25th. I'm Dagna, your reader today. We'll start with today's five-day forecast for the Siouxland area. Uh, today we'll have fog in the morning and low clouds the rest of the day, a high of 36 and a low of 32. Friday will again be a little cloudy in the morning with a high of 37 and a low of 29. Saturday will be sun and areas of low clouds with a high of 34 and a low of 19. Sunday brings us some sunshine with a high of 35 and a low of 23. And then Monday is clouds and sun combined with a high of 43 and a low of 26. Today's mini editorial is written by the Journal Editorial Board and they write, We urge the Sioux City School Board to seriously consider the concerns brought to them Monday by wrestler Molly Sack. So our first article then is going to be about um, the, the subject in that mini editorial. It's called, uh, headlined, A Growing Problem. As wrestling in Iowa grows, the wrestling room at North High School has become cramped and students are concerned about the limited number of coaches. The North High girls wrestling team approached the school board, the Sioux City School Board on Monday, about the situation, asking the board to consider extending the wrestling room and creating more coaching stipends. North High senior Molly Sack said since the Iowa Girls High School Athletic Union officially sanctioned girls wrestling, the number of students in the wrestling room has nearly doubled. Currently, the middle school boys, middle school girls, high school boys, and high school girls share the wrestling room five days a week from 3.15 to 5 p.m. Sex said that means there are nearly 100 athletes in the room at the peak of the season. She said there are approximately 45 middle schoolers, 15 girls varsity, and 28 boys varsity wrestlers. Sex said this presents a danger to students as wrestling requires moves that have students lifting, slamming, and running in a room that was intended to support one team of wrestlers. Think about the potential injuries that can occur when we have 75 wrestlers in one room from the ages of 13 to 18, she said. She said along with the limited facilities, there are not enough coaching stipends available to support the growth of the wrestling program. We have just three contracted coaches, she said. This is an inequity compared to other sports. Boys and girls basketball, whose numbers of participants are nearly identical to wrestling, receive eight contract coaching stipends. Sex said boys and girls basketball receives $42,960 for coaching stipends, while boys and girls wrestling receive $16,258 for coaching stipends. Often at wrestling tournaments, multiple members of the same team will be competing at the same time. At their most recent tournament, Sex said, Four girls were wrestling at the same time. How do you think our beginning wrestlers will feel when they have to take them out alone without the guidance of their coaches, Sex said. Our next um, article is about the proposed changes to the AEA, and this is Northwest AEA Superintendents Respond to Proposed Revisions. Confusion and Disappointment was Northwest Area Education Agency Chief Administrator Dan Cox's reaction to a proposed AEA reformation. 
The governor had talked to a couple of media outlets a month ago about wanting a comprehensive review for the area education agencies, and we would have welcomed that. But instead of a comprehensive review, she presented the reformation concept and then a big bill the next morning, Cox said. The Northwest Area Education Agency serves 34 public schools and 32 non-public schools in the area, reaching nearly 45,000 students. The Northwest AEA provides services for special education, professional learning, creative services, curriculum, and instruction support, and more. It has an extensive media library and is ranked fifth of nine AEAs in the state for size. During Governor Kim Reynolds' condition of the state speech January 10th, she proposed reforming the state's nine regional area education agencies created in the 1970s to provide special education support for school districts. House Study Bill 542 was released the same day. Reynolds said over the last year, in dozens of conversations with parents, teachers, school administrators, and AEA staff, it's become clear that while some of our AEAs are doing great work, others are underperforming. While Reynolds has since rolled back some of the proposed changes due to the reaction from parents, administrators, and the AEA, many of the provisions that are seen as concerning remain. Cox has been chief of the Northwest AEA for six years. He said over the years there have been conversations about reducing the number of AEAs. In late summer, new conversations began about the AEAs, Cox said, and this time it felt like something would change. We did not expect a 123-page bill, he said. One change that concerned both the Northwest AEA and the Sioux City Community School Board uh, was shifting the oversight of special education to the Iowa Department of Education. Sioux City Superintendent Rod Erlingwine said $20 million will be dedicated to creating a new special education division in the Iowa Department of Education. Cox said, so all the current elected boards of directors at each of the nine AEAs would convert into advisory boards only. All staffing and budget decisions would become the sole decision of the director of the Department of Education. Cox said this person also controls how many AEAs exist. On Monday, the Sioux City School Board discussed the proposed changes to the AEA, hoping to get ahead of any major changes. One of the concerns discussed was the shifting of oversight. Early Wine said, I don't have a lot of faith that the Department of Education can take this on and oversee special education in all the school districts across the state. I have a big concern with that, and I think most of the superintendents in the state would mirror that. Chad Jansen, superintendent of the Sergeant Bluffs Luton Community School District, said the AEA, I'm sorry, the AEA provides vital resources and training to the districts. He said, our local AEA has been responsive to local needs. For example, area schools have been asked for increased services in working with students who have English language needs. A centralized system located in Des Moines will not respond to local needs as adeptly as a local system. Under Reynolds' original proposal, AEAs would focus solely on students with disabilities, cutting all extra services. It would eliminate property taxes that are collected to support AEA functions that are not related to special education. The governor's staff has projected that would be an impact of $68 million in fiscal 2025. A week after announcing the bill, Reynolds amended that the 
bill would now allow the AEA to receive funding for general education services and media services if requested by schools and approved by the Department of Education. She said, over the years, AEAs have expanded well beyond the scope of special education, providing a wide array of other offerings for teachers, schools, and districts. These range from athletic coaching certification, cybersecurity, and classroom book sets, to providing graphic design and printing. In fact, only about one-third of the services AEAs list today are focused on supporting children with disabilities. As the AEAs expanded their service, the outcome of students with disabilities declined. The AEA provides 50 full-time staff members to the Sioux City schools and receives $7.8 million from the state for the services. Early Wine said $5.8 million of that was for special education, $900,000 for media services, $1 million for educational services, and $100,000 for professional development. Cox said at least 52 jobs would be eliminated in educational services and media if the bill passed in its original form. Other staffing, such as administrators and support staff, could be on the chopping block as well. In May, the Northwest AEA moved into a new facility near the Sioux Gateway Airport. The main area has space for people to gather and network during events, a central media library, and large conference rooms. There are also small workspaces that people can work in separate from events. The new building has a large creative production space for printing posters, banners, floor decals, etc., a cafe, and a separate lock space for employees and administration. In the bill, all property under the bill would become part of the Iowa Department of Administrative Services in Des Moines. Cox said the department would most likely sell it and locate a new rental office space for them. Another change would allow school districts to choose who they receive special education services from. Instead of funding fun funneling through the school districts to their AEA, the districts would be given the option under Reynolds' proposal to keep that funding and allocate it for special education services as they choose at an AEA or a private company. Earlywine described it as three different options. Keep utilizing AEA services, stop utilizing AEA services, or adopt a hybrid option of the two. Cox said the AEA was created to offer efficient, effective, and economical services for special education. He said if each school decided what to do with the money, the system is no longer efficient, effective, or economical. A large school might hire their own people. The smaller schools would have to do, perhaps work with some neighbors to do that or stick with the AEA system, whatever remains of it, and it just would create more chaos, he said. Originally, the bill had an April 30th deadline for schools to decide which option they were going with, but the most recent revision of the bill removed the deadline. If we opt out and take this on ourselves, it would be the creation of a new department or redesign of the Curriculum, Instruction, and Assessment Department, he said. So this is a big deal. That would be a real heavy lift, and to do it between now and the end of June and have it ready for next year, that would be quite a task. Sioux City School Board member Dan Greenwell said, If you control the money, you control the services. Currently, the money the district receives from the state flows through it directly to the AEA, and the district does not control it. He said the bill gives the district optionality and the option to decide how the funding is used. School Board member Lance Emke agreed with Greenwell that it would be a good thing to have a voice in how the AEA money is used. 
Greenwell said he does not have an understanding of how much media services or professional development the district actually utilizes. He added he would not suggest cutting the services the students utilize, but the bill could give the district options on how they provide it. He suggested the board review more information on how the AEA is utilized by the district before proceeding. A part of the bill that is not directly related to the AEA would increase the base pay for teachers. Sioux City School Board members said they felt like it was a way to make the bill more appealing. Reynolds is asking the Iowa legislature to invest $96 million in new money to increase starting pay, teacher pay by 50% to $50,000 and to set the minimum salary of $62,000 for teachers with at least 12 years of experience. Emke said it smacks of that that the AEA change is going to be so consequential in a negative way that the only way we can get the voting public and the legislature to go along with it is to offer something like increased teacher pay. Board Vice President Trey Lee said it appears the teacher salary was a little carrot in the bill as a reward for passing the AEA changes. She said, I question the motive of putting that little carrot into this. Greenwell said the minimum salaries are great, but are a significant increase for the district to absorb. Currently, the starting salary for Sioux City teachers with a bachelor's degree is $44,800. The bill would require the district to increase that by $5,200. There's no way we can afford a $5,200 increase for every teacher in this district. That's impossible. That will break us, he said. The concept of a comprehensive review has been mentioned multiple times regarding the AEA. Sioux City School Board President Jan George said the last comprehensive review of the AEA occurred in 2010. He said, I have great concern that they're relying on a review from 2010 to revamp the AEA. Other school board members expressed a desire for the comprehensive review to occur. They also requested the district review how it uses AEA services and what exactly it is being provided. Cox said a comprehensive review would be a perfect opportunity to bring parents, students, teachers, school leaders, and legislators together and look at what is happening. He said it's been 50 years since we were created. We've been evolving to meet the needs of schools. But what are the changes that might be necessary and do that in a thoughtful process rather than a rushed one? Cox said the next step for the AEA is to watch where the bill goes and what changes it under it undergoes as it progresses throughout the legislative system. Our next story, Sioux City bank robbery suspect was recently out of prison. The man charged with the Tuesday robbery of a downtown Sioux City bank was released from prison less than two weeks earlier after completing his sentence for robbing the same bank. Jonathan Bird Necklace was sentenced to 10 years in prison with a seven-year mandatory minimum in April of 2015 after pleading guilty to second-degree robbery for robbing Great Southern Bank 329 Pierce Street six months earlier. He was discharged from prison on January 10th, according to the Iowa Department of Corrections. He is charged with the Tuesday robbery of the downtown Sioux City Bank. Bird Necklace, 31, is accused of entering Great Southern Bank at 9.51 a.m., and, according to a complaint filed in the case, handing the teller a check that had a note on it saying, Push the alarm and I will know I will shoot you. Pretend to cash $15,000. No games. I will know and I will shoot you. The teller gave the robber $2,405, and he left the business at approximately 9.53 a.m. The complaint did not say if the suspect possessed or displayed a weapon during the robbery. 
Police arrested Bird Necklace at 3.15 p.m. at 1716 Nebraska Street with approximately $1,900 in his possession. According to court documents, he admitted to police during an interview after his arrest that he had robbed the bank and the money found on him had come from the bank. Bird Necklace, who is listed in court documents as a transient living in Sioux City, was booked into the Woodbury County Jail on one count of second-degree robbery, a Class C felony that carries a 10-year prison sentence. His bond was set at $35,000. The method in Tuesday's robbery was similar to the one in October 2014, when Bird Necklace wrote a note that said, Give me $1,500. You've got 60 seconds and entered the bank, handing it to a teller, and then putting his hand over his pocket as if to suggest he had a weapon. He was arrested 25 minutes after leaving the bank and was in possession of cash received from the bank. In addition to his prison sentence, he was ordered to pay $200 in restitution to the bank. Suspect charged in Sanborn Bank Robbery A Sanborn man is in custody after his arrest on suspicious of robbing a Sanborn Bank Monday. Del Martinez Evans, Jr., 40, was booked into the O'Brien County Jail on charges of second-degree robbery and second-degree theft. His bond was set at $15,000. The police were notified at 1.02 p.m. of a robbery at Sanborn Savings Bank. Bank officials reported a man walked into the bank at 219 Main Street and handed a teller a note saying this was a robbery and demanding cash. No weapons were displayed or referenced, according to a Sanford Police Department news release. The suspect left the bank on foot with an undetermined amount of cash being between $1,500 and $10,000, according to court documents. Using bank workers' descriptions of the man, police developed a suspect and went to 201 West 5th, where an Iowa State Patrol hostage negotiator announced law enforcement presence to the people inside. Evans was taken into custody without incident at 2.10 p.m. As a precaution, schools, banks, daycares, and other Sanborn businesses were advised to go into lockdown while authorities searched for the suspect. The robbery remains under investigation. Sioux City Man Pleads Not Guilty in Child Porn Case A Sioux City man previously charged with 15 counts related to the possession of child pornography has pleaded not guilty to 15 more. Stanley Hill, 82, entered his written plea Tuesday in Woodbury County District Court to 15 counts of sexual exploitation of a minor. Hill was first arrested in September and subsequently pleaded not guilty to 15 counts of sexual exploitation of a minor after police found more than 100 photos containing images of naked male and female children under the age of 18 in his possession. According to court documents, while Hill was jailed after his arrest, he called another person from the jail and asked that the person clean out his office at home. The person cleaned the office and removed a few items at Hill's request and gathered a thumb drive. The person opened the drive and found photos of male and female children in various stages of nudity. The person turned the drive over to Sioux City Police Detectives, who received a search warrant to open the drive and discovered 238 photos, all of which were interwoven with adult pornography. O'Brien County Sex Abuse Case Dismissed Primgar. Prosecutors have dropped the charges against a Sheldon, Iowa man who had been accused of inappropriately touching a female child. Arturo Morales Romero, 25, was arrested January 1st on charges of second-degree sexual abuse and indecent contact with a child. 
Assistant O'Brien County Attorney Rachel Becker on Tuesday filed a motion to dismiss the charges because there was insufficient evidence to prosecute. District Judge Nancy Wittenberg dismissed the case on Wednesday. Scaff running for Woodbury County Auditor. Woodbury County Deputy Auditor Michelle Scaff announced Tuesday that she will run for Woodbury County Auditor, Recorder, and Commissioner of Election. Scaff is running against her boss, Pat Gill, who is seeking his eighth term as auditor. My candidacy will give the voters an opportunity to elect a dedicated person who has worked hard to educate herself, who has gained practical experience, and who has the desire to provide the best possible service and efficiencies to the public of Woodbury County, she said. Scaff has worked in Woodbury County for 28 years, serving in a variety of roles, including a 911 operator at two agencies, director of a law enforcement intelligence network, Woodbury County emergency management coordinator, and deputy auditor. She has been serving in the last role for eight years. She said while the elections role of the auditor is important to oversee lawfully conducted elections, she said there are two other jobs that the auditor oversees that are just as important. The auditor oversees budgets for all governmental entities, insurance policies and surety bonds, alcohol and tobacco licenses, and payroll. The auditor is also the clerk to the Board of Supervisors. The recorder oversees vital records, land and records management, and real estate departments. I will serve the needs of the citizens of Woodbury County. I will listen to and address any public concerns regarding the officer office. As auditor recorder, I will work to address questions from the public, listen to their concerns, and provide them with valid answers. At all times, I will be honest and transparent with the information, she said. I want to make sure that any concerns of the auditor finance, elections, and recorder staff are welcomed and heard. I will listen to the staff and make sure they are provided with adequate training, resources, and staffing to do their jobs efficiently and accurately. Scaff said she has spoken with Gill regarding her candidacy. She said they are professional individuals who respect each other. I do not plan to run any negative campaigns. I am running my own capabilities, my own qualifications, and my own personality, and that is what I want the voters to vote for, she said. The candidate filing period for county offices is March 4th through March 22nd for the primary. The primary will take place June 4th with the general election scheduled for November 5th. Iowa bill would allow cameras in nursing homes. Family of nursing home residents would be allowed to monitor their rooms using security cameras under a bill advanced by Iowa lawmakers on Tuesday. The bill, House File 537, is intended to give family members of nursing home residents greater ability to monitor their safety, said Representative Joel Fry, one of the bill's sponsors. Fry, a Republican from Osceola, said the bill has been in development for years, but concerns around privacy and confidentiality have made it difficult to get it passed by lawmakers and signed into law. Fry said this bill has been worked on for a lot of years, and we're finally getting this bill to a place where everybody is convalescing, coalescing around the bill. 
Before monitoring begins, Bill requires a nursing home resident to consent to monitoring unless they are deemed unable to understand the nature of the monitoring by a health care provider. If a resident is deemed unable to consent, the resident's representative, an attorney, or legal guardian can consent for them. Roommates in a shared room would also need to consent if one resident wishes to be monitored. If a roommate does not consent to the monitoring, the nursing home would have to work to accommodate the request by offering either of the residents a different room. The bill comes as Iowa nursing homes face heightened scrutiny after multiple reports in the last year of deaths, abuse, and neglect at long-term care facilities. In December, Iowa Senate Democrats called for oversight investigations into the state's nursing homes. Republicans rejected that request and said they are already mechanized mechanisms in place to detect and prevent abuse at the facilities. According to a U.S. Senate report from the Senate Special Committee on Aging, Iowa ranks 49th out of the 50 states in its ratio of nursing home inspectors to facilities. Ten Iowa nursing homes are listed as eligible for special oversight by the Federal Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and two others are listed as special focus facilities. Fry said the increased attention on problems at Iowa's nursing homes puts a spotlight on the legislation, but that he thinks lawmakers would be moving ahead with it whether or not those incidents occurred. Certainly, some of the issues that have happened across the state make this a much more heightened issue, he said. I think we'd be at this spot anyway, regardless of whether we had any of those issues popping up. We've been working on this for a while. Lobbyists representing Iowa's nursing homes and health care providers said they were undecided on the bill and said they would like to work with lawmakers on the details as it moves forward. Representative Timmy Brown Powers, a Democrat from Waterloo, said she had concerns about who would be able to access the video, how long surveillance video would be saved, and how to protect the privacy of roommates of residents being monitored. I think we need to do something. I think doing nothing is not an option at this juncture, she said, but I do have some questions to make sure that we are giving the best care, the most dignity to these folks, and keeping people safe at all, all at the same time. Nelson running for Woodbury County board term of his own. Mark Nelson announced Tuesday he plans to run for a full term on the Woodbury County Board of Supervisors. Nelson was elected in January 2023 to serve the remaining two years of Rocky DeWitt's term. DeWitt resigned after being elected to the Iowa Senate in 2022. Nelson is a farmer living in Correctionville and is originally from Moville. He is the owner and operator of Hungry Canyon cattle company and the farm manager of bar and feedlots. He was one of nine individuals who submitted applications for the open district three seat. A committee comprised of treasurer Tina Bertrand, county attorney James Loomis, and auditor Pat Gill was in charge of the appointment process. Nelson said at the time the four main issues in Woodbury County were the secondary roads improvement project, the construction of the new jail, wind turbine projects, and the carbon pipeline project. Nelson was appointed as a member of the Law Enforcement Center Authority in September amid the delay of the jail project. Nelson was also temporarily appointed vice chair of the Board of Supervisors after Jeremy Taylor resigned due to his wife's voter fraud conviction. The seat now filled by Nelson makes up most of the northern part of rural Woodbury County with a portion in Sioux City. Nelson previously said he felt it was important to run and have rural representation on the board. Nelson, Keith Raddick, and Jeremy Taylor 
Taylor up for re-election this coming November. The candidate filing period for county offices is March 4th through March 22nd for the primary. The primary will take place June 4th with general election scheduled for November 5th. We have another article about um, a proposed bill. Um, bill lets unsupervised teens tend to infants at daycare. Iowa's 16 and 17 year olds would be able to care for younger children unsupervised at child care centers under a bill advanced Tuesday by state lawmakers. A House subcommittee advanced House File 2056, which would require the Iowa Department of Health and Human Services to amend its administrative rules to allow 16 and 17 year olds to care for children up to five at child care centers without additional supervision provided that at least two adults employed by the center are present. Currently, only one adult has to be in the facility where a minor is providing care to school-aged children. Lawmakers in 2022 passed, and Governor Kim Reynolds signed legislation allowing child care centers the ability to hire 16- and 17-year-olds to work or substitute in their facilities without adult supervision, as long as they're caring for school-aged children. Previously, child care workers had to be 18 to work unsupervised. The new law was designed by Republican lawmakers to address child care worker shortages. Critics have said it will not help as it does not contain any provision to help address child care workers' low wages and could create dangerous scenarios where unsupervised teens monitoring multiple toddlers. The bill advanced Tuesday would allow 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds to care for up to four infants by themselves in a classroom, up to seven two-year-olds, 10 three-year-olds, and 12 four-year-olds. The Health and Human Services Department was registered undecided on the bill. About 50% of licensed child care centers in the state surveyed, roughly 150 total, have chosen to hire 16- and 17-year-olds to provide care to school-aged children unsupervised, according to the department. Proponents said the bill will help short-staffed child care centers have more flexibility to fill gaps, allowing 16- and 17-year-olds to cover breaks and nap times and assist in the care of more children. This is brought to us by child care providers asking for us to allow this, not mandate it, simply allow it, says State Representative Devin Wood, Republican from New Market, who chaired the subcommittee. State Representative Austin Baith, Democrat from Des Moines, declined to sign off on the bill. It passed the subcommittee on a two-to-one vote. Baith said, certainly we have a workforce issue here. Yes, we need to inno- be innovative in how we improve our workforce, but we need to do it in a safe way. He noted choking is among the leading causes of unintentional death in children under five. You're going to ask a 16-year-old to stay off their phone to watch all kids and make sure they're not choking and be ready to do a Heimlich, Bates said. I worry about that sort of thing. The United Way of Central Iowa, which funds 15 nonprofit child care centers, is registered opposed to the bill. Infants and toddlers are the most challenging, intensive type of care, said David Stone with the organization. If you can imagine what a 16-year-old would be facing with up to four infants or a much larger number of toddlers, we're concerned about the safety of the kiddos, first and foremost. Additionally, Stone said advocates are trying to professionalize child's care. We want that individual to have a good experience. We don't want them to burn out before they're even 18 years old and stay in the profession, he said. Third and final, some of our centers report because 16-year-olds would be unsupervised in the classroom providing care. They may struggle to gain liability insurance from their provider. So safety, workforce, and overall, there's 
other things and other innovative approaches we can take to address child care workforce challenges. You are listening to the reading of the Sioux City Journal for Thursday, January 25th on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. We'll now turn to today's obituaries. Nels Walter Wally Johnson, age 92, of Washita, died Monday, January 23rd at Heartland Care Center in Marcus. Funeral services will take place at 11 a.m. Monday, January 29th at United Methodist Church in Holstein. Visitation will be held from 5 to 7 p.m. Sunday, January 28th at the church. There will be a Masonic service at 7 p.m. The Francie and Jensen Funeral Home in Storm Lake is in charge of arrangements. In lieu of flowers, a memorial fund has been established. Janice G. Matheson, 80, of Sioux City, died January 17th at her residence in Sioux City. Memorial service will be at 2 p.m. Saturday, January 27th at New Horizons United Church of Christ in Akron. Christy Smith Funeral Homes, Larkin Chapel, is assisting the family. Brian Keith Rubis, 65, of Sioux City, passed away surrounded by his family on January 22nd. A funeral service will be held at 11 a.m. January 26th with visitation one hour prior at Waterbury Funeral Service of Sioux City. Burial will be at Floyd Cemetery. Lois E. Lafleur, 93, a beloved wife, mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother, peacefully passed away on Saturday, January 20th at Sunrise Health Center in Sioux City. Services to celebrate Lois's life will be held on Saturday, January 27th at St. Peter's Catholic Church in Jefferson. Visitation with the family will take place on Saturday morning from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., followed by funeral mass at 12 p.m. Her final resting place will be St. Peter's Catholic Cemetery. The compassionate professionals at Meyer Brothers Colonial Chapel in Sioux City are honored to oversee the arrangements. Lois entered this world on August 7, 1930 in Jefferson as the cherished daughter of Ernest and Celia Landers. She grew up in Jefferson, graduating high school in 1948. Lois continued her education at Presentation College in Aberdeen, South Dakota, where she earned her teaching certificate. Her passion for education led her to teach for a year at Gibson One Room Country School. On May 24, 1950, Lois married the love of her life, Russ LaFleur, in Jefferson. After a year of teaching, she embraced the role of homemaker, dedicating herself to raising four rambunctious boys. Lois's unwavering faith in God and her devotion to family were the cornerstones of her life. She found immense joy in supporting her sons, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren at their sporting events. Whether lounging by the pool or trying her luck at the penny slots with her sister Elaine at Beano and Sherry's, Lois embraced life with enthusiasm. Her loyalty extended to Jefferson High School, Bishop Helan Catholic Schools, and the University of Iowa Hawkeyes. In lieu of flowers, the family requests that memorials be directed to St. Peter's Catholic Church Building Fund or the Bishop Helan Nice Foundation, honoring Lois's commitment to faith and education. Lois will be remembered for her warmth, kindness, and the enduring love she shared with those fortunate enough to be part of her life. May she rest in eternal peace. The family wishes to thank the staff at the Bernstein Unit at Sunrise Retirement Community and St. Croix Hospice for their outstanding care. 
Beverly Jane Purchase, 76, of Onawa, died January 20th. Funeral will be at 1 p.m. Visitation one hour prior on January 29th at Gosler Funeral Home Chapel in Onawa. Burial will be at the Graceland Cemetery, Blanco. Arrangements by Gosler Funeral Home and Monuments, Onawa. Darrell G. Graham, 92, of Sioux City, died January 23rd. Memorial Mass will be 10 a.m. Friday, um, January 26th at St. Boniface Catholic Church. Visitation will be one hour prior at the church. Burial will be at Calvary Cemetery. Meyer Brothers Colonial Chapel is handling the arrangements. Philip Osborne, 81, of Tavers, Florida, formerly of Sioux City, went to his heavenly home on January 18th, surrounded by loving family. Visitation will be from 6 to 8 p.m. Thursday, January 25th, at the Christy Smith Funeral Home, Morningside Chapel. Funeral service will be at 10 a.m. Friday, January 26th, at the Morningside Lutheran Church. Burial will be at the Memorial Park Cemetery. Brian Jacob Corey, 52, of Wellston, Oklahoma, formerly of Sioux City, was called home by the Lord on June 5, 2023. He was born on January 6, 1971, in Sioux City, to Nick and Carol Corey. Funeral services will be held at 2 p.m. Saturday, January 27th at St. Thomas Orthodox Church at 1100 Jones Street in Sioux City. Brian was a charismatic and witty individual, known for his sense of humor and his ability to make friends easily anywhere he went, and always made you feel loved and welcome. Brian attended East High School, graduating in 1989. He later pursued higher education at uh, Western Iowa Tech Community College, where he obtained a degree in renewable fuels in 2010. Brian worked in various types of sales most of his life and could sell the Brooklyn Bridge to anyone. After graduation, he transitioned to become an ethanol operator at Plymouth Energy in Merrill, Iowa. He later called himself a farmer and loved to tend to his plants. At times, Brian lived a unique lifestyle from one end of the spectrum to the other, but he was always made to do great things with his life here on earth, and anyone who had a chance to visit with him could visualize his ideas. Brian loved to fish and always had a story to tell. He loved to travel with his family, amusement park rides, and making memories. Brian had a very funny sense of humor and could always make anyone laugh. He enjoyed engaging in practical jokes on family and friends and telling his stories in humorous detail. Brian was a true maestro of mirth, a comedic genius, genius who left us all in stitches. Brian was a lifelong member of St. Thomas Orthodox Church in Sioux City and served as an altar boy through his late teens with his cousins and church friends. He loved to tell stories of the mischief they would be up to during the church service. Brian married Trudy Cummings in 2000, blending their, their family of five children. Samantha Tutin of Sioux City, Nicole Chernock of Homer, Nebraska, Morgan Corey of Lincoln, Nebraska, Nathaniel Corey of Sioux City, and Nolan Corey of Sioux City, and his grandchildren. Brian was the cool uncle who loved all his nieces and nephews, and many aunts and uncles and cousins throughout the country. Brian Jacob Corey's warmth, 
kindness, and zest for life will be deeply missed by all who had the pleasure of knowing him. May his memory be eternal and serve as a guiding light, reminding us to embrace each day with his gratitude and love. His children will be his pallbearers. An honorary pallbearer will be his brother, John Matthew Corey. In lieu of flowers, a memorial has been set up for Brian at St. Thomas Orthodox Church, 1100 Jones Street, P.O. Box 1042, Sioux City, Iowa, 51102. Marilyn L. Gores, 97 of Vermilion, died Thursday, January 18th at the Sanford Vermilion Care Center. Pastor Katie Miller will conduct funeral services at the United Church of Christ at 226 East Main Street, Vermilion, on Friday, January 26th, commencing at 11 a.m. with the family present for visitation at 10 a.m. A private burial will follow at 2 p.m. in the Bluff View Cemetery in Vermilion. Cobra Funeral Home of Vermilion has been entrusted with the services. George Gerald Pardon, Jr., Jerry, of Sioux City, has passed away peacefully on December 14th after a long illness. Jerry was born to George Gerald Pardon, Sr. and Ruth Pardon on July 13, 1939. He was preceded in death by his parents and his brother Jim from Denver. He was married to Donna Lou Pop from 1960 to 1981, and then he was married to Patty Jo Pardon from 1982 to 2015. Jerry graduated from East High School in 1957 and Morningside in 1968. He was the owner and editor of the Sioux City Magazine for many years. Later, he moved to Lakeville, Minnesota and was commercial printing executive until his retirement. Jerry will be remembered for his peaceful nature, sense of humor, community involvement, and his passion for the game of golf. May he rest in peace. John J. Mullen, 73, passed away Thursday, January 18th. Services will be held at 1 p.m. on Friday, January 22nd at Moore and Becker Hunt Funeral Home, interment at Dakota Dakota City Cemetery. Visitation will be one hour prior to the service. Margaret Ann Heim, 76, of Sioux City, passed away surrounded by her family on January 19th at a local hospital. Per her wishes, cremation has taken place and there will be no services at this time. Our arrangements are under the direction of Waterbury Funeral Service of Sioux City. And that concludes the obituaries for today. We'll now move to the weekly article written by Kathy Yoder, who is a devotional writer. And today's article is, Seven year, Several years ago, I was sitting around a table with a group of people gathered together for my weekly Bible class. One gentleman came every week, but never said a word. He simply smiled the nicest smile. I sensed an innate kindness in him. I was also sure that he had an underlying sense of humor. Finally, everyone was present. It was time to start. It was January and it was bitterly cold, just like we've been experiencing the last couple of weeks. It was also the year that the cold started to really bother me. Ever since that winter, I've had the harder, a harder time staying warm in cold weather. Although it was the middle of January, I began talking about New Year's resolutions. I said, I don't usually make New Year's resolutions, but I have one for this year. 
People began discussing whether or not they make New Year's resolutions, and if so, what they are. Eventually, someone asked me, what's your New Year's resolution? I wasn't sure if the discussion would get back around to me before I started the lesson. I always allow this time for people to share about their week. It helped to promote fellowship and also created bonds of friendship. Over the years, we've discovered that we are all more alike than different. I'm so cold this winter, I told them, that I resolved not to whine about the heat next summer, no matter how hot it gets. The nice gentleman looked at me and spoke for the first time in class. He said, what about whining about the cold weather? There was a twinkle in his eyes and a smile on his face. Oh no, I said, I'm still going to whine about the cold. We all laughed, including the nice gentleman, and I did. I whined about the cold all winter long. Since then, I've gotten better about my whining. I'm still cold, especially this winter, but I keep them whining to myself. It's easy to complain and whine. Long ago, when my son Ethan was a little guy, he was whining about something. I said, Ethan, stop whining. He replied in a very whiny voice, but I like to whine. It's natural to whine a little bit. Even the disciples did that, and they lived and traveled with Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. What did they have to whine about? Evidently, plenty. Luke 22 has a lot going on. It begins with Judas' decision to betray Jesus. The Last Supper is in there, Judas' betrayal, Jesus being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Peter denying Jesus three times, just as Jesus predicted. It ends with the Council of Religious Leaders condemning Jesus. As Jesus and the disciples share the Last Supper, he tells them what is to come and asks them to remember him. He says that his body will be broken for them. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people on a, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Luke twenty two twenty. Jesus is our sacrifice. He says, But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But the, what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? Luke twenty-two twenty-one to 22 The disciples don't ask Jesus how this will happen. They don't try to comfort their Lord. No, they focus on who will be the betrayer. <clears throat> then they jump to who is the greatest among them. I can almost hear the whine in their voices. I should be the greatest. No, I should. And on and on. I think they also like to whine. And so do we. Even though I still don't make New Year's resolutions, I've decided that instead of whining about life and the things that seem so challenging, I will simply pray more, not just for myself, but also for my fellow whiners, who like me secretly say, but I like to whine. Lord, give me your strength through challenging times. Remind me of your promises in the Bible. You say in your word that you will never leave me or forsake me. This is from Hebrews 13.5. You promise to be with me wherever I go, Joshua 1.9. You have told me that when I am weary and I am running like crazy on empty, that I should wait for you and you will renew my strength, Isaiah 40.31. You who breathed life into Adam, the very breath of life, Genesis 2.7, will also breathe fresh life into me and I will receive the Holy Spirit, John 20.22. As a born-again believer, you promise me eternal life with you, John 10:28. And guess what? They're all true. 
So I resolved to think more about the promises in the Bible, to truly take them to heart, to stop whining and to stop enjoying whining, to live my life in the full awareness that the Lord is the one who fights for me, renews me, and is present with me. The Holy Spirit lives inside me. I need not fear. The God of angel armies is on my side. I will remember Jesus' sacrifice. I will remember that he's my Savior and my friend, and I will no longer say, but I like to whine. And again, this is the um, weekly article written by Kathy Yoder. We now have an entertainment story. Uh, music promoters share the secrets of bringing in acts to Sioux City. There is seldom a week that goes by when Brent Stockton doesn't get a call from either a performer or a promoter inquiring about booking possibilities at Vanguard Arts. Sometimes I'll be fielding three or four calls a day, the director of the 416 Pier Street nonprofit performance space said with a tired chuckle. In large part, it is due to the fact that Vanguard Arts has acquired a reputation for bringing in world-class performers and on-the-verge artists to Sioux City for more than a decade. Entertainers like performing here because we have an audience of dedicated music lovers, Stockton explained. We're not a bar, so our acts know they won't be competing with a pool table or a loud group of people who are seated right by the stage. In a facility that can seat up to 90 people, Vanguard Arts thrives on intimate shows. We always joke that our audience can catch a favorite act on stage and then share a drink with them after the show, Stockton said, adding his performance venue is geared towards smaller, more acoustic-oriented performers. This isn't the case with Emily Von Drack, who, as a marketing director for Oakview Group 360, is in charge of booking talent for both Sioux City's Tyson Events Center and the Orpheum Theater. With the Orpheum, we can book shows that can get an audience of 2,000 people, she said, citing the recent engagement of stand-up comic Joe Gatto, or the February 3rd performance of Nickelodeon's Baby Shark's Big Broad Wave Tour, as examples. Von Drake said uh, an ongoing series like Broadway at the Orpheum has been a crowd pleaser for the 528 Pier Street Theater. I'm very excited about the 50th anniversary of Jesus Christ Superstar coming to the Orpheum on February 13th, she said. With an official capacity of upwards of 10,000 people, the Tyson Event Center is designed for larger-scale shows like the Freedom Tour of Rock and Roll Legends Journey, who will be in concert at the 401 Gordon Drive venue on February 28th. According to Von Drack, securing Journey on its 50th anniversary tour came down to routing. Routing occurs when a band or an act is in the Midwest decides to take an extra show. Journey was already playing at an OVG 360 venue, she said. They added the Sioux City date as a pickup midweek show. Von Drake also likes looks toward partnerships with other venues like Hard Rock Hotel and Casino. Sioux City is unique in that we are between other cities like Omaha and Sioux Falls, she said. With a diverse selection of performing venues, I think we are becoming more attraction to all types of acts. Vanguard Arts Stockton nodded his head in agreement. After all, he became a music promoter after being a music fan. My wife Paula and I always loved going out to see live shows, he said. We'd attend a show in Omaha and we would see a handful of other Sioux Cityans at another table. Then it dawned on Stockton that there were plenty of local people who were willing to travel a distance to hear music.
I figured why not create a venue for entertainers in Sioux City, explains Stockton, who has booked talent for past clubs like the Blues Cellar, the Attic, and the Chesterfield Music Club, while continuing to book acts for the annual Outdoor Downtown Live Summer Concert Series. I used to tell people I developed Vanguard Arts because I got tired of driving out of town for concerts, he said. To be honest, that's not far from the truth. Over the years, Vanguard Arts has played host to such legendary performers as Ray Wiley Hubbard, Johnny Winter, John Primer, James McMurty, and David Lindley. It has also provided a venue for young rising talent like Valerie June, Mike Zito, and Shamar Allen and the Underdogs. Just as significant are local bands like Ghost Cat, Ultraviolet Fever, and Banana Cramps, who will also who will always have a home at Vanguard Arts. It's tough being a traveling act, Stockton said. I had a performer who came in a few weeks ago. He was amazed that we didn't have a big screen TV right next to the stage. The musician said that wasn't the case at many nightclubs. The poor guy said it wasn't bad enough that he had to compete with pool tables, video games, and loud patrons, but he and his band had to compete with NFL football, Stockton said, continuing with his story. However, at Vanguard Arts, music always comes first. This is why we have acts booked well into the spring, Stockton said. If you bring in quality acts, audiences will follow. We'll now go to Dear Abby. Dear Abby, my son, who is in his senior year of high school, is dating a beautiful, sweet girl I'll call Amanda. I'm very fond of her. This is an exciting year for them both because soon she will be shopping for her graduation gown. Amanda told me her mom has said she will have to wear her older sister's dress. Her sister graduated seven years ago. Finances are tight for their family. I asked Amanda how she feels about it and she isn't happy. I would love to buy her a gown. I remember being in high school and how excited it was to be able to buy a new gown. My daughter is two years older and says that soon the girls in school will be talking about shopping for their new gowns. I really want this experience for Amanda. The problem is, I don't want to offend her or her mother with my offer. Should I stay out of this? Should I approach her mother? I've met her mom only a couple of times, and I don't want to step on any toes. Even if my son and Amanda are not together by the time graduation happens, I would still want to have her to have a dress of her choosing and all the experiences that come with it. Signed, Offering Assistance in Canada. And Abby responds, You are a caring, thoughtful, generous woman. However, the subject of Amanda's family finances is sure to be a delicate one. Do not discuss this with Amanda yet. Consider reaching out mother to mother and explaining that Amanda mentioned she might be wearing her sister's dress for graduation. Explain to mom that you care about Amanda and suggest that if she would allow it, you would love to take them both to lunch and to shop for a dress she might like. Tell you... Tell her you would like to, that to be your graduation gift to Amanda, or if this is something she'd prefer to just between the two of you adults, you would reimburse her for the expense. Then cross your fingers. You are a sweetheart. And that does it for today's reading of the Sioux City Journal for Thursday, January 25th. I'm Dagna, your reader today. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org at any time. And thank you for listening.
In Africa, five-year-old Cheru has no choice. She and millions like her must walk miles every day for dirty water. But together, we can end their walk by providing clean water close by. Instead of spending hours walking to get water that makes them sick, girls can be in a classroom that expands their minds and moms will gain back time to care for their families. Sons and daughters can grow up strong, finally free of sicknesses caused by dirty water. At World Vision, care about clean water runs deep. Deep enough to reach one new person with clean water every 10 seconds. Because every child, every person, everywhere deserves clean water and a chance to rise to their full potential. It's true. When you just add water, you change a life. Learn more at worldvision.org.